You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Years ago, I had a friend um, tell me in that vein, he, he said, I've, Pastor, I've kind, of, I've kind of made a decision that... Um, that I'm already going to sit on yes. I'm going to sit on yes. And whatever the Lord brings up to me uh, in whatever moment, I'm already sitting on yes. I thought it was, I thought it was a great, great time we had as brothers in Christ talking through that. Um, this morning, um, we are going to talk about what we call Mission 21. And um, several years ago, or at least... Um, well, the Stambaugh's and I have been doing ministry next to one another for over 25 years. Um, you might remember Pastor Harry, who retired recently, um, and Georgetta and I and Pastor Harry, we worked uh, as far back as in the late 90s in the missions department at our church in Atlanta, um, where both were charged with um, different responsibilities. Georgetta is one of the best leaders I know, has been that way for um, some of you may agree. Uh, uh, and for the ability to, um, to kind of cut through um, a lot of complication, get to the heart of the matter, and then build a team around it. And that's kind of what her charge was to do with Mission 21. And um, so, Georgette, I appreciate your leadership and your friendship. And um, please, please give a warm welcome to Georgetta Stanley. This time I remembered to turn it on. That's always a good start. Good morning, Gateway. So just to kind of get a level set, how many of you have heard of Mission 21 um, or you've been involved in Mission 21 in the past? Okay, a few of you. Well, good. This is going to be good then. Um, So Mission 21 is our Gateway's local outreach ministry. And um, our goal is to help people at Gateway to find their real purpose by giving them serve opportunities, opportunities to love and serve um, our neighbors in the local community. Um, Our hope as a result of that is that the hope of Christ is going to go forward. And we do that in four ways, Um, probably maybe some more, but four basic ones. We defend life. Uh, We help the poor and needy, we give the marginalized a voice, and we promote biblical worldviews, especially around marriage and human sexuality. Um, One of the questions that usually comes up fairly quickly is, why Mission 21? Um, So the answer is that our outreach ministry was really launched in 2021, and the name stuck. So it's Mission 21, and that's our local outreach. Um, For those of you who maybe haven't heard or haven't been involved with Mission 21, we've got a film for you. And Caitlin, you want to run that, please? (laughs) 
Most of us would agree that we live in a world that is increasingly divided and cynical. People are fearful and confused. News reports scream about abusive and deceitful leadership. The trends are troubling, yet they provide the perfect environment for the church to demonstrate the love of God and to bring the truth of the word as answers to the fear, separation, and lack of leadership. Mission 21 aims to help the community's physical and spiritual needs in four ways. Justice for the marginalized, help for the poor and needy, defense of life, and advocating for a biblical model of human sexuality and marriage. At Gateway, we are dedicated to enriching the lives of everyone we meet through service opportunities, fellowship, worship, and stepping up for the voiceless. Our goal is to renew the world by serving the people in our church and our community. We've been at Gateway for a year and a half, I suppose. Well, I think um, serving is part of a Christian's life. Uh, right, really being the hands and feet of Jesus and and living out what, what we teach and what we say. It's, yeah, and just loving people, right? Like, that's the main thing. Serving is is loving people and, and showing the love of Jesus and the light of Jesus. like to serve as a family. Um, we like to do everything as a family. I think it's very important that our kids see us serving and also get involved in serving. And I think as a result, um, they look forward to opportunities that they can serve. Serving with Mission 21, um, for us in particular with four kids, has looked like showing up to the mobile food pantries um, with our kids and handing out food. Um, I've also taken the kids to the DCS office and helped hand out lunch to the DCS workers. Mission 21 really, to me, is a way to practically serve. And there's things that our church is doing that we can participate in and that we can help in. It's one thing to go out and find a ministry and be part of it and uh, go and volunteer, but going out as a, as a church, as a congregation, as a people, and saying we're gonna we're gonna go is that that's a great way for us to build community together and to uh, and to go out and, and show the love of Jesus. Yeah. You don't have to pray about it. You know, Mission Twenty One is reaching out to people. It's reaching out to the hungry. It's reaching out um, to people in need to um, to foster kids. January twenty twenty, I was actually sitting in church. And the pastor from West Harpeth was here visiting and he, he preached a sermon and he was talking about Peter already being tired and he'd already fished all night and he'd already cleaned his nets and he was kind of done, didn't catch any fish. And Jesus told him to go back out to the part of the lake where it didn't make sense, the wrong time of day when he was already tired and hungry and cast his net again. And at that moment, I knew God was telling me that... Um, we needed to cast our net again. And at the moment, I didn't know what it looked like. Um, but then with talking with other people and kind of praying about it for over a year, 
we decided January 2021, 20, it was now or never. We were gonna attend the foster parent classes and pray about it and see how it goes. Max Licato has said, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. We encourage you to find your something. For more information about Mission 21 or to volunteer for upcoming events, visit gatewayfranklin.com slash mission 21. That film wrecks me. <laughs> The team did a great job putting that together. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, in January of 2023, we're in 2023, right? Uh, Pastor Charlie came to me, and to my great delight, he asked if I would be willing to help coordinate uh, the local outreach ministry, Mission 21. And it was a special honor and, as I said, a delight because missions, both global and local, have always been my passion. So for any of you out here who know me well, and I see a lot of people I do know and a lot I don't know, but for those of you who know me well, you know that um, I am a human doer struggling to be a human being. Um, I'm I'm task-oriented. I just do. That's what I like to do. And I, and I promise you, I am working hard on, on uh, being people-oriented. And I, it's my goal. One day before I die, I'm going to test as a people person. So that, that's, that's where I am. But um, so obviously what we task-oriented people do, a lot of you out there can identify because I see some of you. Um, I bought a big dry erase calendar. I put it on the board, and I started mapping things out. Because as far as I was concerned, it was January. We were already behind. We had to get the momentum going. We had to go do something, right? So I started putting things out there and calling people and having meetings. And there was something in me, though, that was just like, this, this is just, you're missing it. This is not quite right. Um, You need to do the why, to know the why of what you're doing. It's just as important as what you do. I I remember sitting in a meeting, actually, it was over at Church of the City, one of the, um, we collaborate with a group of churches to minister to foster children in different ways. And I was sitting there and I remember hearing the good things that people were doing. And it was exciting, and it was good. And I thought, you know, and I think I probably even said this, truthfully. I said, um, you know, doing good things is always better than doing bad things. They always carry weight. But there are a lot of organizations that do good things. As the church, what we need to be about is making sure that we're doing things that move the needle for the kingdom. 
And I couldn't get past that. I could not get past the fact that it wasn't enough to fill the calendar and to do good things. I needed to make sure, and our team needed to make sure, that we were moving the needle. Well, I didn't give up easily, so um, I thought of some scriptures that you know I probably needed to think about in order to um, you know make sure that we were on the track. And I've always loved Micah six eight. A lot of you probably know it, but Micah six eight is He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And Matthew 25, 40 came up, and that was whoever has done it for the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then I even came up with a couple of new ones. I only wrote one down, but it was Psalm 82, 3. And that proclaims, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And I thought, well, there, yep, we're on the right track. But there was something in me that just wouldn't let go. And what I realized was that I was just basically taking scriptures that I knew to defend what I was already planning to do and what I was going to do. I was justifying the actions that I already planned to take. It was like, you know, this is still just not enough. And I'm not saying for all of you that you have to be here and feel this. I'm just taking you on my journey. And maybe you'll get something out of it and it'll be part of your journey too. So I started thinking about where this unease was coming from. And the scripture of all things that um, the Lord took me to was, or the Holy Spirit took me to, was Genesis 5, 1b. And it says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So I believe, then I began to think, okay, if we're going to be doing the right thing, and we're made in the likeness of God, um, then maybe what I need to do is go back and in a methodical way, go, go and see how God does outreach. And then when we move into the New Testament further, we're told that we're to be imitators. Um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in order for me to be an imitator of God when it came to Mission 21, or to outreach, I needed to know what God's heart was. What was missing was that I knew things that were pleasing to God, but I was missing his heart. So I'm going to take you on the journey that I went through in the scriptures. Maybe it'll be something that will bless you along the way. But I'm going to give you a map first. I'm going to, when, when I took speech class a zillion years ago, they always told us to tell people what we were going to tell them, then to tell them, and then tell them what we told them. So I'll try not to be too redundant about this, but we don't want to miss it, right? So 
My key findings were that God consistently reaches out to man with unconditional love. God calls the believers to share in his work, to be co-workers. God sends men and women out into the world as his representatives, his ambassadors. And God transforms us and gets glory through our outreach. Because we are created in his image, we too are created to reach out to a hurting and lost world. It's part of our real purpose. So the first step on my journey was Genesis 3. The first time the word shows God reaching out to man is when God has made, and this is no exaggeration, he has made the worst choice ever. He has told Adam and Eve that they can have everything in the garden, but they're not supposed to eat from the one tree. So guess which tree they want to eat from? The devil tempts Eve to eat from the tree. Eve eats the fruit. She finds it to be tasty. She entices Adam to eat it. Adam eats the fruit, and with two bites of an apple, they are separated from God. They're living in sin. Now, I know myself well enough to know, I can just hear the conversation I would have been having. I tell them not to do one thing, and what is it they have to do? And I would have been ticked, and I, I probably would have written them off, or at least been angry for a good long time. But you know, aren't we glad that we've got a God uh, that just does it differently? Yeah, his, God in his great unconditional love reaches out to Adam, and he reaches out when Adam doesn't deserve it. And he reaches out to Adam by asking a question, where are you? Doesn't come looking for him, he just asks, where are you? Now, Adam and Eve are hiding. Um, I, I have this poor attempt at a joke, it didn't nobody laughed the first time, I knew they were going to, but I'm going to try it again. It's basically that they were trying to hide the problem. They were trying to hide it with fig leaves. Um, You laugh now. (laughs) Um, Anyway, they were trying to hide the problem. But God, he's not a pushover. God is not a pushover. It's not that he lets them off the hook and he says, that's okay. No, you know, he holds them accountable. The price was dear. We're still paying the price. I mean, he put them out of the garden, and only by the blood of Jesus. I mean, we would have been in no better shape than them. Somebody after the first service reminded me of the cross, so I want to be sure that I give that the glory it needs. But, you know, we're still living with a fallen world that happened because of the decision that Adam and Eve made. But God starts right out of the chute. He starts bringing them back to him, bringing them back to the great love of the Father. He kills animals, and he um, clothes them with skins, so no more fig leaves. They have skins, something substantial to cover them. When we do outreach, um, 
we can count on meeting people who have made lots of bad choices. Um, sometimes really, really bad choices. Um, sometimes we can look and we can say, gosh, I think they're kind of working the system. And maybe they are working the system. But the point is, that's not ours to call out. We are going to act just like Jesus did and like God did in the early days, that we're going to reach out with unconditional love, we're going to reach out with grace, we're going to reach out with mercy, and if there's any judgment needed, we'll trust God to do that. So the next step on my journey um, is basically 10 generations later. And we're told um, in Genesis 6, 5 and 6, the story of Noah. And it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, Harry, um, he doesn't blame me. That was really a bad word. He... um, Every once in a while, he reminds me that I'm prone to hyperbole. And he tells me that good communication, you don't use never, you don't use always, you know. So it strikes me, you know, that since the word gets it right, this was really pretty bad because they're saying here, his heart was only evil. Every intention of his thoughts was evil, and it was continually This tells us how bad things had gotten on the earth. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And God decides to destroy the earth and its inhabitants by flood. And then he tells Noah in verses 18 and 19, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. So note, we've added a new dynamic here. God reaches out to Noah, but then he calls Noah to be a co-worker. He begins to enlist Noah in the reaching out process. So we've moved from Adam reaching out to now we have Noah and Adam reaching out. He's a co-worker. Noah builds the ark. He gathers the animals. Um, he has to feed the animals and clean up after the animals. He's an integral part of this process that God has set out for him. We start, start to see this pattern. Um, and if you have ever looked at our Mission 21 collateral, you see on there that it says Jesus has given the church a mission in which we are called to be co-workers. And that's, this concept comes from there. This is the way God works today, too. I said earlier that, you know, uh, there are a lot of times that I pray about things and I wouldn't like nothing better than God to divinely intervene in something and just fix it. But more often than not, he does do that. But more often than not, he calls us to fix it. Uh, Harry and I had a a pastor in Cincinnati when we were um, first married. So it's been, what, 30 years ago, probably. And um, 
one day he was talking to the Lord. He was praying in the morning. And he was praying about just how bad the pornography problem had gotten. And he said to God, he said, God, why don't you do something about this? And he said it was not audible. But he said the voice that came back to him was, Jerry, why don't you do something about this? And he did. He left. Um, he left. He was co-pastor for, in our church for a while, but he eventually left and started the National Coalition Against Pornography and became a big voice in that area. My point is that God works through us now more often than not in the world. We are called to do outreach with him. Um, we see the same type of thing just hundreds of years later, I guess, with Abram, who also later was called Abraham. And it says in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your land, your relatives, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So here we're adding another dynamic. Um, God reaches out, he calls us to reach out, and then he sends us. We see the same thing in the journey uh, with Moses. Moses was an Israelite. He was living in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt, uh, and he decides to take it upon himself to help uh, the plight of his fellow Israelites and he, he kills one of the slave masters, one of the taskmasters. And um, he's totally misunderstood. I mean, one, there's no way the Egyptians were going to have any understanding for that at all. It wouldn't make any sense. But even the Israelites just thought he was a murderer. They didn't understand what he was trying to do. So he had to flee, and he went to Midian. And he's in Midian 40 years. But God, in his good time... Reaches, he hears the cry of the Israelites. He reaches out through Moses and he sends Moses to go and to be the deliverer, and eventually he leads them to the promised land. And later on, we're going to see that this is um, the same progression that you see in the New Testament. The thing that we want is that I, I see in this kind of as the lesson learned, it seems like on every one of my steps in the journey, I got a very tactical, practical lesson at the end. And the lesson at the end to me is, especially in this day and time, um, a lot of people are not going to flock into the church looking for answers. They're not. More than ever, it is important that we go out and remember that we are sent and we need to reach out to the community around us. And there are a lot of opportunities to do that, obviously. So what we've learned so far is that God's reaching out, he's calling, and he's sending. And then my most amazing stop on the journey occurred. The most amazing outreach of all. God sends Jesus. He saw what we couldn't do for ourselves, what we couldn't understand. And God reaches out through sending his only begotten son. 
In John 1.14, in the message, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I repeat, how amazing is that? God reaches out to us when we absolutely can't save ourselves, and he becomes man. He sends his only son. For those of you who have children, can you imagine that? Right now in Israel, I have three good friends who um, have sons or daughters that have either been called back up into the military or are in the military. And their hearts are broken. But they did not choose to send those kids out to die, potentially to die. God, please no. Please no. But God chose to send his son out for us to do outreach, knowing full well what was going to happen, that he was going to be rejected, and that ultimately he was going to be killed. And he did it anyway. He teaches us the ultimate lesson about reaching out. It leads me to kind of a final and the how of reaching out. Um, we see, first of all, I should say also, that Jesus uses the same method then. He, he does what he sees his father has done. He reaches out to the disciples, and he, he, Jesus reaches out and invites them to be co-workers with him. This is in Mark 1, 16 and 17, and it's his first example. He says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he... Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So first of all, he reaches out, in this case, to Peter and Andrew. He calls them to follow him, to be his co-workers. And eventually, he's going to send them out to be fishers of men. And he does the same with the other disciples. Um, To fully understand, gosh, I forgot to say this at nine and it was so good. To fully understand this, you have to understand how cross-cultural this call was. Um, Rabbis did not call people to come and follow them. That was not done. Um, what happened is it was more like a college process. Some of you got kids that are about ready to, or they're, you're doing uh, visits to colleges right now, and you have to apply, right? And that's what happened with disciples normally. You would go to um, a rabbi that you appreciated. Probably you went to the, you know, your first choice first, and you would ask if you could come and follow. And I'm sure there was dialogue about it. And I'm sure they picked the ones that they thought most matched their own profile, and, and they would take them. 
And then maybe, and I don't know this part to be truthful, but I would guess that maybe if you didn't get your first choice, you might ask a second. But Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus went out and he found the disciples and he called them to come and follow him. And what an unlikely bunch. I mean, I don't know if you've seen in The Chosen, one of my favorite scenes, Pastor Charlie and I talk about this a lot, is when they're sitting at the table and he's getting ready to send them out two by two and they go, we don't feel qualified to do this. And he goes, well, if we were talking about qualifications, I'm not sure I would have been this group. But, you know, really, it's the same, the point being the same, that this was not based on their qualifications. This was based on the Lord's goodness and grace, and him being able to see the potential in people that we couldn't see. Jesus kept reaching out in places that no one would have expected him to go. Reaching out to people no one would have expected him to reach out to. He reached out to lepers. He reached out to unclean women. He reached out to um, tax collectors. He reached out to prostitutes. He just kept shocking the system, and he did it knowing that some of them were going to reject him and eventually kill him. I'm going to, we've got one last stop on my journey, and this was the story of the Good Samaritan, because Jesus then gives some instructions on how to reach out. He calls us to reach out beyond the church walls to those who aren't like us. So in Luke 10, 25, 28, it's the preface to the story. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now, we're not totally sure what the scribe's motivation was at this point. Um, You know, maybe he was trying to trap Jesus. Maybe he was testing Jesus. To You know, that was another common practice in the day that older rabbis um, would, would... Te- or older, older teachers, in this case a scribe or a lawyer, um, would test the young rabbi. So maybe he was testing him. Maybe he legitimately just wanted to know. Maybe he really had a question um, that he wanted to know what the greatest commandment was. Anyway, in typical Jewish form, uh, Jesus turns the question around, says, how do you read it? And Jesus agrees um, with the scribe's answer and essentially says, yep, that's it. Go and do that and you'll be good. We don't know what answer the scribe expected, but he goes in for a follow-up question. Um, Again, we don't know the motivation of the scribe. The scripture says that the scribe was trying to justify himself. But I can't help thinking maybe he just realized the enormity of this answer, to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, think about that. It's hard to love somebody as much as yourself. And for that matter, it's hard to love yourself. So this was a big thing. And maybe this lawyer or scribe was just saying, whoa, 
that, that's too big. <laughs> Can't we reduce the scope in this? You know, um, maybe we can get this down to something more manageable. But anyway, um, the scribe says, he goes in for a follow-up question, and he says, and who is my neighbor? Trying to get this down to something doable. Now, if the scribe was at all like me, he thought that his neighbor was going to be the guys he went to Gateway with or the synagogue with, or maybe even within two city blocks of where you lived. But that's not the answer he gets. In typical Jesus form, Jesus gives him a story. And he said there were several, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, there were several things in this parable that probably would have thrown um, the scribe or the lawyer off. One of them was the Jews weren't the good guys. They were the bad guys. That would have thrown him off. The religious people, that would have been the Levite and the priest, um, they were the bad guys. And the good guys were the Samaritans, the one that the Jews would have considered unclean and unchosen. So this was a totally different model that he was beginning to see. Jesus' answer to the who is my neighbor question indicates that anyone who has a need that we can fill is our neighbor. And sometimes it's going to cost us a lot to fill that need. It could be money. It could be time. It could be reputation. It could be um, it could be just giving up an idea or a belief that we have. It will cost. We are commanded not only to love those who are like us, with whom we are comfortable, comfortable but all whom God places in our path. And in fact, Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? 
Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Samaritan saw a need, and he reached out to meet it. And Jesus would say to us, go and do the same. Jesus not only reaches out to us, he calls us to go and do likewise. And then he sends us out as his co-workers to reach a broken world at what could be great personal costs. This is part of our mission. This is our mission. So this is the part where I now tell you what I told you, just so we're real sure we don't forget it. Uh, We're called to reach out to others because God consistently reaches out to man with unconditional love. And we are created in his image. God calls us to share in his work by being co-workers. So we need to watch and align ourselves in places where he's working. God sent and continues to send men and women out into the world as his representatives. And as we reach, work, and go, he is glorified and we are transformed becoming more like Jesus. God's reaching out to you today. Hear me. God's reaching out to you today, calling you to be his co-worker and sending you to bring hope to a world that desperately needs it. Now, Pastor Charlie always says uh, that movement matters. And this is going to be your time to move. Um, Out in the great room, some of you have come in and seen the activity between services, and we have four of our partners out there. Uh, We have the Well Outreach um, from Spring Hill. We have uh, the Middle Tennessee Pregnancy Center, 431 Ministries, and Tennessee Kids Belong. And in addition... uh, we also have a Fostering Hope display. I love a, a, a quote by Pope Gregory from the 6th century, and it's actually about the Word of God, and I'm going to paraphrase it. But I think it has, um, it has application for what we're doing today. Basically, what he said is that he said the Word of God is like a river, It's shallow enough for lambs to wade in, and it's deep enough for elephants to swim. Now, I know some of you are in a place when it comes to reaching out or to service today that you're probably saying, you know what, I can barely get up in the morning and get myself dressed. I just, I don't have the bandwidth. I just, I can't do anything else. And this is not meant to be condemnation in any way, shape, or form for that. That's not what this is about. This is about knowing the heart of God. There are others in here, and for for those, we have some opportunities that I would say you can wait around in. And one of them is, and and hear my plea on this one, if you go right straight out the doors, you're going to see a pegboard out there with fostering hope on the top of it. Fostering Hope um, is an initiative that we partner with Church of the City on. We partnered last year and this year. And it's like an angel tree. What it is is that we're going to buy gifts 
for foster families. This is a time of year that it's just, there are a lot of expenses for a lot of families. And so this is something that, you know, is, is it's not going to take a lot of time. So consider doing that. And I will say we had over 200 tags out there, and I really, really believe that we can take every one of those tags off. Um, the, a lot of them came off with first service, so a little healthy competition would be good here. Everybody go out, take two or three tags, or no, as many as you can. There's one that's even um, a little less than that, I would say. And that's if you go over to the Tennessee Kids Belong table, they will tell you how you can share links for videos for children who are in foster care, but they're eligible for adoption. They're eligible to find their forever families. And Tennessee Kids Belong, in fact, about a month ago, we did one of the filmings of these kids here. There were 32 kids that came that day and were filmed. And after you see their faces and hear their stories, You just want them to have forever families. And I won't give the names because I'm not allowed, but there are some I still pray for. I keep the things by my bed so I remember. So the thing you can do to help, as I started to say, they have found that when people see these links and see these kids' faces and hear their stories, the percentage of children that have been adopted has gone way up. So you go out there, you find out about those links, put them on your social media, put them on your email any way you can, and let's get the word out on those kids. Um, Then if you've got a little bit more time and, and you feel like, you know, you could take on maybe an afternoon or more, uh, you can go out and sign up to work at the Well Outreach on one of the mobile food pantries or maybe with one of our small groups to go and pack some uh, food bags for kids who are at risk of being hungry over the weekend to have a food bag. Um, Maybe you can go to the Middle Tennessee Pregnancy Center and sign up there to um, go in and, and volunteer and work. I think right now they've got a need for some people to sort some clothes and do different things. If you move over then to 431 Ministries, you can learn how you can go and love on uh, young women who are kind of uns- or not just young, widows, all ages of women who are underserved and unseen. And there are monthly activities there for dinners and different things. And then if you really want to up it a little bit, they need mentors, people to come along and teach life skills. And then Tennessee Kids Belong also has the table where you can go and you can get the links. But there's one more thing. You saw Lisa. Lisa Baldwin was, um, the Baldwins were the last couple on the film. And she talked about casting our net into the deep uh, when she was really not ready to do that, maybe. And for some of you, you can swim with the elephants. And that might mean exploring fostering. You don't have to sign up, but maybe you just like to learn more about it and how you could be part of that. Or maybe you would be one that would go, you know what, I can take another, I can take another child. 
And maybe this is the time that God would have me do that. The point is, just hear me. Lots of you are already doing things. Um, Mike entered the, uh, ended the film with a Max Lucado quote. No one can do everything, but every, everyone can do something. So today, what I really challenge you, if you're not doing something right now, go find your something or the beginning of your something. Or just let us know that you're interested. You're not quite ready to, you, you maybe haven't found it, but you want to do something. And I leave you with reach out. You've been reached out to. You've been called. Now let's go. All right, would you stand? The overall mission of Gateway Church and why it was planted was to develop the most spiritually influential people on the planet. We talk about fresh starts, how when we have an ongoing fresh relationship with Christ, partnered with being shaped in a community, which we call great friends. We have eyes outside of ourself, our real purpose. That is what a spiritual influential person is and does and how they form. I've talked to a lot of people over my years of pastoring, kind of looking for, they're looking for their purpose. The, the, the main reason why we miss that is because most people look for their purpose inside themselves. And your real purpose is going to be outside of you. And that is always going to be bigger than you. That's why people don't chase it. It's always going to be bigger than you. But here's the thing. When we see it outside of ourselves and we're not intimidated that it's bigger than ourselves, we will experience a life more and better than we ever dreamed of is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10. He's the gate. And we will experience more and better life than we ever dreamed of when we lock in with him. We're going to end our service the way we always end it. Uh, a time, the communion's to my left and my right if you want to receive communion today. We all walk in here in a variety of contexts. If you want to pray today, if you want to spend a moment by yourself in prayer, this is what this side of the altar is for. If you want someone to join you in prayer, link their faith with your faith today, or maybe your lack of faith in this moment, come to this side of the altar today and someone will join you with prayer. So Father, we thank you so much that you, we, we are all in Adam. Your word says that all of us are in Adam. We have a fallen nature. But then in Christ, then we are in Christ. And you have reached us. Thank you for continuing your reach and for letting us be a part of that story as well. And Lord, in this moment, you're the only one who knows what's sitting on the hearts of people. And I know you're wanting to then reach even now. So as we move, Lord, move towards us. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. 
Thanks for joining us today. 